In 2017, Christopher Nolan, who probably was more famous for some of his Batman movies, produced the movie Dunkirk. It tells the story about May 1940, as the Allied troops were stuck in northern France in the city of Dunkirk with their backs to the sea and the Nazis moving toward them. And they were really stuck in a horrific horrific place. And militarily, they were without defenses. And, and with that, Winston Churchill, on May the 23rd, went to King George VI, and King George's response was that we need to call the nation to pray. And so, on May the 24th, King George VI addressed his nation and said this, let us with one heart and soul, humbly but confidently commit our cause to God and ask his aid that we may valiantly defend the right as it is given to us to see it. On May the 26th, they said the churches across England were full. They were packed as people began to pray and ask God to do something unique and special to to save this army. Well, interesting things began to happen. On the day that King George VI asked his nation to pray, May the 24th, we find that Hitler, though only just a few miles away from Dunkirk, stopped his troops. They stopped. And then after some days of bombing, rain began to fall and terrible weather set in. And so during this time, a plan, Operation Dynamo, was conceived. And what they did was they began to bring ships, small ships, volunteer ships, people, whoever. If you had a a canoe, I think they were letting you take. They were going across the English Channel. And it was interesting enough because one person wrote, the English Channel, which is normally rough and choppy, calmed to barely a ripple. And boats started crossing. They hoped for a few thousand. Within six days, 338,000 soldiers had made it across the English Channel to safety and then were able to regroup and obviously later defeat the Nazi army. Now, some people could say that that was just coincidence, but as... Winston Churchill on June the 4th delivered his, you know, uh, we're going to fight on the beaches speech. He also, a man who was not known for being religious, referred to this as a miracle. And then on June the 9th, England celebrated a national day of thanksgiving to God for what he had done. You know... As we think about life and think about the challenges of it, we have a God who is active, that is working in his world, and he is working in his people, and we can have hope. So take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Psalm 46. It's a familiar psalm, Psalm 46, but a beloved So we're going to look at all uh, the verses today, read them together. We'll pick up in verse number one, Psalm 46. 
God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. You've heard Luther's song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, based right off of Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And with that, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for being our refuge, our strength, our very present help, and our hope when trouble comes. Thank you, Lord. Encourage us in you today. May we be reminded of who you are and how you are at work in your name. Amen. Psalm 46 is a psalm of triumph. It is actually a song of military triumph. Most Bible scholars believe that the background of Psalm 46 is Isaiah 36 and 37. Now, in Isaiah 36 and 37, what we find is that after the Assyrians have come in and taken the 10 northern tribes. They are now coming down upon the city of Jerusalem and the southern empire of Judah and Benjamin. And as they are moving down, King Hezekiah is on the throne. And King Hezekiah recognizes that he is outmanned and outgunned by this Assyrian army. It's interesting in Isaiah 36 that the chief of staff called the Rabshakeh from Assyria comes to meet with the, uh, the Jews that are gathered right outside, are gathered in Jerusalem. And as they're meeting, he begins to speak loud enough for people that are off a distance to hear. Hey, don't trust Hezekiah. Don't trust his gods. Recognize this king of Assyria. Know what he has done. He is strong and powerful. You're better off just surrendering. Then we're going to give everybody a tree and they're going to live in happiness. You must surrender. King Hezekiah is distraught. 
The Bible tells us that he goes and he tears his clothes and he puts on sackcloth and he enters into the house of the Lord and begins to pour out his heart to God. He is hopeless and he is helpless in this situation. But then in Isaiah 37, 21, the Bible says that Isaiah came to him and says this, the Lord has said, because you have prayed to me. I love those words. Because you have prayed to me. Isaiah recognizes the the voice of the Lord and speaks to Hezekiah and says, God is saying, because you have prayed, and then he moves through this poetic speech and shares, God is going to bring deliverance. And then in Isaiah 37, down around verse number 36 and following, we find that the angel of the Lord that evening goes out into the camp of the Assyrians and slays 185,000. Amazing. Victorious. This is the background. Now, now, Again, just kind of like Dunkirk or like this battle, we, we could say, well, uh, and, and I sat in a college class, a secular college class one time, and they said, yeah, there was a destruction that took place, but, but we believe that maybe it was something like the bubonic plague. I read this week that maybe it was typhus, which comes from um, uh, lice or fleas or mites that got in and, and the bacteria spread. Listen, God's not above using something like that, but we do recognize that it was the power and the hand of God that was ultimately exercised. And so now, in light of that, they write this psalm and say, hey, we recognize that God has given us victory. God is amazing and powerful and wonderful. And so as we look at this psalm today, in the background of this battle that was way beyond the the the, the head and the strength of the Jewish leaders and they knew it. That it was that was far greater than anything that they could handle on their own and God intervene recognize in our life no matter what trouble we're facing. We have a God that moves with great protection and shows great provision and provides great power. Our God is able. Our God has been our help in ages past. And many of us, when we thought of that song and when I asked you, you could go back and think of, yep, this happened. And man, God provided here and God met us at this need. And I faced this crisis and physically, I don't even know if I should be here today because of what happened in, in my life. And God says, recognize who I am. God is our refuge and our strength. So I want to encourage you. I recognize that we're dealing with a pandemic that seems to be uh, persistent. I, I recognize that that there, because of that, there have been financial hardships. There have been mental and emotional struggles. There is there is just difficulty. You, you recognize just as you're out and about, 
people can kind of have an air of grouchiness about them through all of this. Okay? So what we need to do is we need to recognize the Lord our God and trust him through the troubles in our life. Let's don't, let's, let's don't live under our, uh, let's don't live with our circumstances dictating our focus and our feelings and maneuvering our faith. Instead, let's lift our faith in God and then let's l- allow his faith to fill us and his spirit to move in us so that we can walk through with love and joy and peace, even through difficulty. Trust God. So I want us to see as we look first, notice back in verse number one, you know this verse, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in our time of trouble. First off, when trouble comes, trust God's protection. Trust God's protection. What we find here is, is what, what he is saying, God is our, our, our refuge, our strength, our very present. But here's the key. God can be a lot of things, and God has done a lot of things. The challenge is our focus. So we must focus on God. Because if we're just looking at the circumstances around us, we're like Peter when he gets out on the, on the water, when Jesus says, come, come on, Peter, walk on this water with me. And it says he steps out and there he begins to see the waves and feel the wind and he takes his eyes off of Jesus. Now listen, we can be in the midst of knowing about God, but not focusing on him. We can come to church on Sunday. We can even check off a box and say we've read our Bible, but we're not focusing on God. So focus on God. Now, once we focus on him, recognize who he is. God is our refuge. God is our refuge. As a refuge, he is our shelter. He is the one who who is over us. And listen, it's not that God provides a shelter. Understand, God is the shelter. God is the shelter. So that when we look at passages like Proverbs 18.10, where it says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run to him and are, and are safe, we recognize, God, you are the one who protects me. You are the one who is over me and recognize that nothing in my life, and we don't always understand this, but we have to believe it. There's nothing in my life that can happen outside of the sovereign hand of God in protection over me. God is our refuge. Then God is our strength. Now, as we think about God as our strength, again, it's not that God just provides strength, but that God is our strength. That as we're plugged into him, that we truly can understand and experience the strength and power of God in our life in a way we maybe have never experienced before. When you wanted to quit or you couldn't move on or you didn't think you could get out of bed or you couldn't face another trial or the grief was so deep and dark in your life. You didn't know if you could take another step and yet you're here today. God's been your strength. So let's trust him not only for and thank him for yesterday, but let's trust him for our today and rely on him for our tomorrow. God is our strength. And then God is our very present help. I, I, I love this because I, I think of this in, in two terms. First off, he is our very present help in that he's not a far away help. We've lived hours away before. 
and you think, hey, you know, man, I'm having a struggle with this. It'd sure be nice if, you know, mom and dad lived down the road and they could be over here. And, and, and that's just wasn't, wasn't our, our life for 18 years between 300 and 600 plus miles away. It was that they were willing to help and they would do what they could, but they were just far away. God is close in proximity, but he is a present help also in the sense that he is not just the helper from the past. He is close in proximity and he is near us as we face the challenge in real time. He is a very present help. Very present help. He's close now. There's hope in that. There's joy in that. There's a sense of stability and confidence that comes from that. So he says, focus on who God is. Recognize. What are you facing today? What do you just need to say, God, I can't handle this on my own. Lord, I I trust you. You've got to be my protector. Lord, you've got to give me strength. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you every hour. There are times in our life where we need him every breath. Where we feel like, I don't know if I can take another step without him upholding me. He is a very present help. But then he tells us, because the Lord is our refuge and strength and a very present help in our time of trouble, The word trouble there is a a picture of a squeezed in place, a tight place, a place where there's pressure. Lord, you're with me there. And there he, then he says, opening verse two, therefore we will not fear. Focus and do not fear. Focus and do not fear. Now, as we think about fear, we recognize that there are some healthy aspects of fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of, uh, of wisdom. We recognize that. That's a healthy respect and awe for who God is. But there is an unhealthy fear that can creep into our life and can paralyze us. And we begin to look at the circumstances around us and we're afraid. I don't know about you. When I was a kid and you know, just your your younger elementary years, kindergarten, elementary. And if I had to, like, I left my bike outside and, and go get my bike in the dark or something like that, that just wasn't very comfortable for me. But when my dad was with me and it was dark, it was all fine. I didn't even think about being afraid. I, I, I mean, that just never was something that would that would come into my mind. And here the picture is, God's with you. He's your present help. He's your father. Do not fear. But we get this theme of fear throughout Scripture, and we look at just a couple of instances in Joshua 1. Joshua is preparing to enter, cross the Jordan and enter into the promised land, and the Lord says, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Or Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. 
for you are with me. Or Isaiah 41.10, where it tells us, hey, do not fear, I am with you. Do not, do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will help you. Yes, I, 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 will, I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. It's the presence of God. So that the psalmist in Psalm 56.3 would cry out, when I'm afraid, I will trust in you. Or Psalm 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Oh, the darkness we face. Oh, the, the deliverance we need. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Do not fear. We get the theme in the New Testament. In 2 Timothy 1.7, where God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Or we look at Hebrews 13, where the Lord says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then Hebrews 13.6, so that you may say, the Lord is my helper. What shall I fear? For what shall man do to me? The picture is the presence of God and the recognition of who God is, is to, to ease the fear in our life. We can't have this heart of fear when we recognize and keep our focus on God. And I, re I realize what, what happens often in Psalms and what happens often in our life is, is we get this, this great burst. Oh, God, this is who you are. And then there's this, oh, Lord, but the enemies are strong. And, and, and we're in this balancing act because the flesh and, and the circumstances around us always pull us back to look. So fight for your focus and fight not to fear. When trouble comes, trust God's protection. But secondly, as this psalm then kind of takes a turn in verse number four, it says when trouble, it shows us when trouble comes, we can trust God's provision. Notice in verse number four, because it seems to, to kind of take a turn and, and it's interesting. There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. It gives this picture of a, of a city and there's a river running through it and all is serene and all looks wonderful. In some ways, this city could be pointing uh, to uh, the kingdom that God is going to bring and bringing hope for the future, but it may have a present application with this. We know that the Middle East and where Israel is is a very dry place, but King Hezekiah had diverted water and had aqueducts that went through so that even in the challenges of an Assyrian army gathered around them, there was water, precious water provided for them. So we recognize the, the river of God's provision for them. Notice there's a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God. The river... We recognize in the Garden of Eden, there was a river. We recognize in Revelation 22:1 that when we get to the new heaven, there's going to be a river of the water of life. We have to have water. When we lived in Georgia, one of the things that, that we did was we uh, went to Andersonville. Andersonville was a 
a, a union prison, basically, for those that had been captured during the Civil War. It's about an hour and a half south of Atlanta. And uh, we went there, and, and just reading the story of Andersonville is, is quite interesting. Now, if you have ever been, you know, uh, south of like Cape Girardeau, you know it gets hot in the summer, okay? So, I mean, we're talking Atlanta, we're talking August, we're talking summer of 1864, and it is hot and it is dry. And the, the Andersonville prison was only meant for uh, a few thousand soldiers, but typically there were at least 45,000 soldiers that had walked through, and they think probably close to 30,000 incarcerated at that moment, and they do not have any clean water. There's what they called the Stockade Creek, but by the time it had kind of flowed through, it was already dirty from those that had been just up above them. It was filled with sewage and bacteria, and the men didn't know what to do, so they began to pray. And in August of 1864, when they began to pray, it took a while, and, but God showed his hand. It began to rain. They said that the men were so thirsty that they just looked up in the heaven with their mouth open, waiting for rainwater to drop into, into their mouth. And it rained, and it rained a couple of days through the process. And then the rain let up. But this ominous cloud appeared. And with this ominous cloud came a huge storm and a major strike of lightning that hit a spring that no one knew about. And if you go to Andersonville and look, there's a place that is called Providence Spring that began to provide 10 gallons of clean water every minute. They needed water. They needed a river of God's provision. And in the providence of God, God, oh, again, you know, the skeptics may say, well, that just was a high point, and that's just where the lightning hit. I want to tell you, God answers prayer. The river of God's provision was clear, and they recognized it. And for Israel in this time, the hand of God and his providing for his people was there, and it was clear. But not only is there the river of his provision, but the, the reality of God being there in the midst of them was as clear as you can see. Notice with, with me back in, in verse number 5. It talks about uh, the, the river and the city, and it says, God is in the midst of her. Then notice in verse number 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. God is in the midst. Sometimes you may not feel him. Our feelings can change. Sometimes you may not recognize. But I want to tell you, as you face the troubles of life, you do not face them alone. God is with us. God's hand is upon us. God's presence is around us. He is a very present help. God is near. 
What are you facing in your life today? Is there something that you just need to say, Lord? First Peter 5, 7 says that I can cast all my cares upon you because you care for me. And Lord, I know you're with me. So Lord, I lift this burden. I take this weight. I give it to you. When trouble comes, trust God's protection and God's provision. But thirdly, when trouble comes, trust God's power. Notice what we see as we come to the the end of, of this. Notice first where it says in verse number seven, the Lord of hosts is with us. The picture of the Lord of hosts is is the God of of the armies. We when we jump into the book of Malachi, Lord willing, in, in just a couple of weeks, we're going to see that this Lord of hosts, and we're going to kind of dig this out a little bit more. The Lord of hosts, he is the God of battle, the God of armies. He is the God who is all powerful. But notice then down with me in verse number eight, because the scene changes again. We've looked up and seen God, and then we've looked at the city, but now we're looking At that time when God has come through, notice what it says. Come behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. The scene shifts. The end of the battle is what's being pictured here. The end of the battle. As they look out and and they think, oh, is today the day the Assyrians are coming in? And they look out and they see campfires that have just turned to ash and dust and just a trickle of smoke arises. But all around lay the bodies, 185,000 of them, of soldiers who the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord of hosts has taken out. So when trouble comes, trust him. Behold his Works. That's, that's what it challenges us. God's power. Behold his works. Behold. So that after Dunkirk, even Churchill, not known to be a religious man, would proclaim that was a miracle. That, that in Andersonville, when the water was provided, they would name it Providence Spring. They didn't name it lucky or coincidence. They named it Providence God's hand and sovereignty and goodness is being shown to us. Behold his works. Maybe today would be a great day to take a few minutes this afternoon and think about all that God's done. It might be a good day today if you would take a, a few few minutes and think about the things that God has done in your life and how he's provided and protected and, and shown his power time after time after time. Maybe today would be a good day to behold his works and think about all that God's done in your family. Or to look back to generations and think about those who came to know Christ and pass that faith along and say, God, thank you. I behold your works. Behold his works. They they cry out, hey, look. Can you imagine the excitement that went on around the walls of Jerusalem? Look, look, behold 
What amazing things God has done. And then they send out a small scouting team. And they're holding their hands up. Saying, they're gone. They're dead. Can you imagine the excitement at this moment as they behold his works? But then, behold. But for those of us who are in the challenge of life, we may need to be still. Notice, he says, behold his works in verse number eight. God makes war cease. He breaks the bow. He cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. And then he says, verse 10, be still. Be still. For many of us, life moves at a frantic pace. For, for many of us, life is, is always busy and always loud. And we want to uh, microwave this and we want our sound bites here. And on the way here, we're going to listen to a podcast or we'll have the music blasting. And even through every moment of life, and then we finally get the kids down and the homework done. And we click the TV on for a few hours for, for cotton candy for the brain. And next thing we know... We have done everything but be still before God. Be still. And then he says, know that I am God. I am the one who brings judgment. I am the one who provides deliverance. I am the one who is exalted over the nations. No. Psalm 100, verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. There's great hope. No, he's our creator. He's our shepherd. He loves us. He takes care of us. He's going to move in our life. He's going to surround us. He's going to protect us. He is our God. And most of all, at that moment, when we step into eternity, we know he's going to secure us. I look back in my notes. I hadn't preached Psalm 46 in a long time. And so I just went back and thought, when was the last time I looked at this passage? The last time I preached from Psalm 46, I had a note, 9-16-01. 20 years ago. And I thought, you know, 9-11 has changed a lot and changed our world a lot, changed our airports a lot. But God's presence and protection and power and provision for us has never changed. There's hope in him today. Be still and know he's God. He's got you. He's in control. World looks out of control. Yeah, politically, culturally, internationally. A lot of crazy things going on. Absolutely. But our God, he is our God.
And we're called as believers to trust him. And with that, let's pray. God, we know that you are our God. And even for me, so many times I can lose focus. Lord, remind us. Weeping may endure for a night, a week, a month, a season. But joy can come in the morning because of what you've done. So, Lord, help us to remember who you are. Recognize what you've done. And live with faith and peace and love and joy. In your name, amen.